Welcome to Bad Patient. Malpractice makes perfect. I'm Robin Donovan. And I'm Laura Marker. And we are two non-medical, non-experts sifting through this week's health news. And this week's words are uh, organ, vomit, non-diabetes, and drink-free. Okay, but before we say that, we have to say, welcome to season two. Welcome to season two. Welcome to season two. You've made it. You've made it. This is your first season. (laughs) No, this is your second season. And... We're... You don't know that. It might be a new listener. Hey, new Could listener. Be... Hey, new listener. What's up? <laughs> we hope you found Love out on Facebook. Love time to <laughs> You missed a lot last season. Lots so... of lots of news. Yeah. Wait, I think we should talk about what the bad patient means. So if someone's listening for the first time, they okay, can understand. You go for it. Okay, so bad patient, I think, was like a take on the idea that if you ask too many questions, like me, or you're like an overthinker. You know, like you're you. Like, like me. Okay, let's not make it too personal. <laughs> then like, sometimes I used to be considered like being a bad patient, but we want to encourage people to ask more questions and like think through the news in a more detailed way. Yeah. So we're saying bad patient, like wink, wink. It's a good thing. Okay. Everyone should be a bad patient. Exactly. So what's our first story? Um, So our first story comes from Fox News, and it's about doctors exploring lifting barriers to living um, donor organ donors. Okay. Before we get started with this, can we talk about the fact that this hotel that my company has me stay in, which we may or may not currently be in while I'm traveling, (laughs) has this gym, and for some reason, like, the gym television is only Fox News. Really? All Fox News. All Fox News, all the time. It checks out. It's a lot. It's val- fair and balanced. <laughs> all right. What 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 does this fair and balanced story have to say? Um. So it is talking about uh, people who are living donors. Which um. So you, there are um, dead donors, people yeah. who have died. Yeah. And so <laughs> that is primarily how we we get organs. For people on transplant transplant lists, mm-hmm. but you can also do things like, especially with liver. Did you know that you could cut a liver? Yeah, and then put in another person, and yes. it'll grow a liver, yes, and I it'll that. grow the other person. Like we're a fucking salamander. Or are we surprised that I knew that though? Uh, no, not at all. Also, how is that? Do salamanders do that? Like their tails grow back or something? Yeah, I think that's what it oh. is. They're not donating their tails though. It's a little different. It's a little. Different. It's a little different. Yeah. Um, so it's talking about people who, and also like kidney, uh, donors are, um, can't always give, uh, kidneys even if they want to in their matches. Um, so instead they're looking at, um, some, lifting some of the, the bands for that. But like part Mm. of it is also like an economic hurdle. So like people who are going to donate, um, their organ, have to be like off for weeks as well oh, for the recovery. It's like expensive, so that's super expensive, especially for people who don't have mm-hmm. um, sick time that way. So, and I bet the people that are receiving the organs, like even if they wanted to say, if you're donating the organ, I'll pay for your medical costs. I bet that they like can't, you right. know, yeah, like because they probably don't have the money or whatever, right? So, so. Thousands of people die each year waiting for an organ transplant list, and nearly nearly 14,000 are on the waiting list for a liver transplant. So does that mean you're going to give them a lobe, Laura? No. Mm-mm. No? Mm-mm. I mean... No. But they can now. So, um, so there are people who are dying on waiting for it. Um, and it's disproportionately affecting minorities 
as so many things do in the healthcare world, right? Mm-hmm. Like we keep seeing that and seeing that and seeing that. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I keep thinking that like organ donation is going to come into being as like more of a thing, but I feel like it's lost steam. Like, you know how HIV AIDS was like a really big thing and then we came up with better treatments. Now it's not. I feel like organ donation, we didn't come up with solutions. We just got tired of talking about it. Like there were all these things to get you to add it to your driver's license. And now we're just kind of like, yeah, that sucks. But we moved on. But we didn't do anything about it. No, no donation for you. Yeah. So yeah. But like part of the challenge is that the, um, the, the limits to compatibility and um, finding a viable option and different things like that. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah. And I think the best quote from this piece, which is actually we said it like it's we're reading it on Fox, but technically it's an Associated Press piece. So, but it came from Fox. Fox, like, served it up to us. Yeah. But Associated Press writers wrote it. You take your editorial issues elsewhere. I mean, okay. But so, the best quote in the piece, I think, is, the community's in a real bind about how we can help them. It's a fine line that it doesn't get misconstrued that we're paying people for their organs. Because that's so true. You know how people donate plasma and stuff Mm -hmm. for the money? I bet people would give kidney for the money. If you really needed it? Yeah. Aw, that's sad. So it's all kinds of ethical issues. So if if we yeah. if we can pay people, then how do we make sure that those people aren't being exploited yeah. in order to give a a more wealthy person a kidney? The option, yeah. This has sci-fi written all over it. <laughs> Wait, so how do we know? Like, did you see this other piece about the livers? It says many people with failing livers aren't allowed onto the national waiting list for organs from deceased donors. Because the scarce supply is rationed and given only to those with the best survival chances. So, should a donor be allowed to undergo a risky surgery if the recipient's predicted survival rate isn't as good? Right. So, like, that's uh. what the story is about. So, it's like, this woman found a donor, but she's she wasn't a very good candidate for for survival. And so then they were so just like, So they didn't like, want no. to give it to her. <laughs> and she's like, no, but, like, I found somebody. And they're like, mm. Mm. But they were saying, like, they were saying ethically it wouldn't be fair to, like... It's a risky procedure for the person donating, donating. it. and so... So is it worth risking somebody else's life for somebody who doesn't have a good chance of surviving? <laughs> so they're like, eh, you're kind of, uh, yeah, you're on the way out the door here. Yeah, so, Aww. yeah. That's harsh. Absolutely. That's harsh. Wait, so they did actually end up doing it? Yeah. It's a special new... Special program. Yeah. Mm. Which allowed for a whole new thing. And she had fibro fibrolamellar <laughs> nailed it hepatocellular carcinoma nailed it got it nailed it in one one end of all right we need a new story because I can't say that word <laughs> okay so our next story comes from NPR and it's the queasy truth about why kids are so prone to vomiting so I don't have kids you don't have kids but I know kids and I have. Kids in my family. I know of kids. I'm also somebody's kid. (laughs) Okay. We've both been kids. I've been a kid. We've seen kids. Yeah. We've known people who had kids. So I feel like we're qualified to talk about this. We got it. So this is talking about, like, why kids throw up so much. So, like, even (laughs) when they're not, like, truly sick, they're throwing up. And it's because their immune system um, isn't the same... um, isn't like as fully developed so okay um it's the same mechanism for kids and adults but it can be stimulated by different things okay um so it can be stimulated by virus irritation the stomach the lining to 
disgust or surprise or emotion of a car or a boat. And kids have a hair trigger reaction. Ah, uh, got it. So when the brain experiences stomach upsetting stimuli, uh, it's affected, and so they vomit. And they can just, basically, they can be triggered by, like, smaller things. Yeah. So, um, it's not necessarily that they're more sensitive to, or prone to, like, bugs or anything, but their bodies send and listen to uh, the signals for all kinds of physical, and as a result, they may vomit for something that wouldn't make uh, an adult throw up. (laughs) A stubbed toe, it says, as an example. I think there's, like, an emotional component, too, right? Like, the whole, like, kids and stomach aches can be, like, a nerve thing, and there's the whole, like, there's the whole, like, gut brain. What's the thing? There's, like, it's like your immune system's in your gut and all this stuff. Yeah. So... (laughs) <laughs> Anything that makes a child sick can make them vomit, says pediatric gastroenterologist <laughs> Katja Kobasik. There are numerous, numerous causes. I mean, let's just say that uh, the youngest among us, they do puke a lot. Yeah, and this is why, though. Yeah. So... Did you pick the story because of Halloween? Yeah, totally. Do you think we contributed to any kid pukers last Definitely, night? Definitely, because we made it through the entire time handing out candy the whole two hours. And unlike your neighbors, we made it through to the end. And so at the very end, we just dumped the rest of the candy into yeah. somebody's... So that we probably contributed to that. that. Yeah. So for sure, for sure. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so it's talking about what you should do if a kid vomits. And it's make sure they're comfortable and keep an eye on their fluid intakes to prevent dehydration. Um, and when you should go to the doctor is when there are other signs as well. Um, like severe stomach tenderness. Uh Tended stomach, yeah. severe pain of any kind. Yeah. Rapid fire vomiting or <laughs> if it doesn't clear up after a day or two. Okay. But that's mostly because that can lead to, to severe di- dehydration. dehydration. So. Yeah. Also, it's like a bowel obstruction. You're really in trouble. So. Mm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Dark green bile. Yeah. Watch out for that. So. Honestly, I feel like a lot of this stuff, like, if that happens, you're going to be freaked out anyway, right? Yeah, absolutely. Especially with your first kid from everything that I've seen. Wait. Let's be honest. If there's kid and there's puke, I'm freaked out. Yeah. Because I'm like, I don't know what to do I don't know what about this. So I used to work at this pool in high school and, like, lifeguarding. And sometimes kids would, you know, have an episode in the pool. And so you have to do all this stuff. You have to shock the pool and you have to wait. But also, like, technically... You wouldn't have to do anything else. But it is unsightly to have hunks of someone's lunch, you know, mm-hmm. bobbing about in the water. That makes sense. That so someone, <laughs> usually a low-paid someone, has to go with like a with like a little net on a on a long stick and scoop out, you know, chunks. Yes. And it is, I have to say, a uniquely disgusting job. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That no. sounds that sounds it's, very disgusting. It's really gross. It's That's, really bad. Seems Holy unpleasant. <laughs> Super terrible. Uh, hydration is key, blah, blah, blah. You know what else? You like, you know what else I think about vomiting with? Yes. Oh, because tell me. vomiting comes in. Okay. So so I'm listening a lot to this podcast called Purple Patch, which is like this guy who he has an accent that makes him sound like he's attractive. I've never seen his face, but you, so that's fun. Yay! Yeah. And he talks about like he is a full-time coach of professional athletes and also let's just be frank rich people sure. so he coaches like business like people who can afford to spend like 400 dollars a month on like coaching for like mostly i think triathlon and like running 
So there's all these, like, he does these podcasts about all the different issues that you run into. And, like, puking is a big issue on, like, really long distance stuff because it's, like, you have to consume all these calories and all this fluid, but you have to get the ratio of, like, electrolytes to water to actual sugar, right? And if you, it's, like, if you get too much of one and not the other, sometimes people get this, like, big, like, watermelon-like bulge. Like, if you have too much, too many calories and not enough water, your body can't digest it, so you just get, like, a lump. Mm-hmm. And then and then you consider jiggling that lump around for, like, several hours, you know. Like you do on a long-distance run. As one does. <laughs> by, by as I've never done. <laughs> well, I've never done it, but, like, but, yeah. So I actually have been thinking about puking this week. Wait, are we giving justice to this story? I feel like probably not. The queasy. I feel like this article doesn't really tell us anything, though. Like, what's the queasy truth about why kids are so prone to vomiting? It's not a queasy truth. They just they're little they're little beings, and their system is more sensitive, and everything can make them puke. This is not news. This is like parents have known this since the dawn of time. Yeah, but it's justifying it's justifying people. Yeah, making moms moms and dads everywhere feel better. You know what's also weird is they use the word barf in here. Like barf is kind of not. You know, like. I don't know that in an yeah, article. You just said it. Like, well, I just I said, said it. it. Well, like, we're not, like, this like, is not, you know, we're. Like, are you saying we're not classy? <laughs> <laughs> we're lay people. <laughs> this is a non journalistic endeavor, right? Say it again. Barf. <laughs> <laughs> if you want your kid to not barf, I don't know. But you know what I mean? It would be like saying, like, your tummy hurts, like, in a in a news article. You would say, like, abdominal pain, probably, right? Cause, yeah, like, but it's for kids. This article is not for kids, but it's about kids. That doesn't mean the word "barf" is like more accurate. Well, so kids cuter. barf. They don't. Their kids. tummy's not. Their tummy <laughs> is upset. <laughs> oh my gosh! Also, did you know that like the thing that we call the stomach flu is actually not a form of the flu? That is accurate. Yeah, it's a stomach bug. It's gastroenteritis, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which does not roll off the tongue. It does for me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you noticed, but I just like whipped it out and. Yeah, you, you did. There were no you, problems. You busted it out with great conviction. All right. I feel like we need to just give people one hard-hitting fact here. We're going to give you guys a thing. What's the thing going to be? We need to give, like... Okay, this is... We Moms need... know best. That's how it ends. Go with your gut. Okay. Parental units, go with your gut. Fine. I mean, that's not how I want it to end, but you said right, it. So... You, you do it. I want to say... Okay, I want to say... The things you watch out for, blood, dark green bile, or even fecal matter? I'm reading oh. this from the article. I'm not... Okay, and they notice they said fecal matter because apparently some slang words are too much for them. Poopy? Yeah, which can get into vomit from an obstructed bowel. So you get backed up enough, it just comes... Ugh. That sounds like something out of a South Park episode. <laughs> you know that one where the kids the kids decided that they no. wanted to... Well, I never they were, watched South Park. Okay, well, there was a South Park episode where the kids decided that, you know, normally if you put food into your mouth and, like, waste comes out the other end, they were like, what if you put food in the other end and then waste comes out your mouth? Oh, God. And in the episode, they were actually, like, successful with this. Okay. And, you know, I I won't go too far down that path. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like we went pretty damn far. (laughs) All right, let's move on. (laughs) So our next story comes from Market Watch, and it's non-diabetics are using diabetic technology to track their blood sugar and improve their health. Oh, this I believe. So this is about people who are using uh, devices to track their glucose, um, also called blood sugar. Uh, When it comes to food and the body 
using it for fuel. Yeah. Um, and so diabetics have trouble regulating that, and that's right. why they have to track it. Yeah. But um, other people were thinking, well, why don't I track it even though <laughs> I don't have diabetes? Yeah. And so, like, this is about these people. And this article, in my opinion, is just, just like, talk about people, and they say it helps them be more healthy and track their food. That's what they say. And it's just, like, not, like, super duper, like, helpful. <laughs> like, they say it works. I don't oh, know. Oh, you like, mean, like, they haven't provided any other evidence other than these anecdotes. Yeah, so she's the guinea pig. And so okay. um, she is experimenting and kind of seeing what different food does to her and tracking it continuously. So the challenges. Um, so the glucose monitoring technology has improved a lot in recent years. Um, but... The devices require prescriptions in the U.S. and insurance covered varies, um, so it's kind of expensive. And I'm guessing your insurance is not going to be like, oh, you don't have diabetes, but you want a glucose monitor? Great. Yeah. So yeah. she's basically no. <laughs> she's basically uh, doing it herself, and uh, so it kind of started with. Uh, some guy who's a tech entrepreneur who used 23andMe genetic tests to show that he was at a higher risk of oh, diabetes. getting diabetes yeah. type 2. Um, and so he thought it would be just to be safe. So um, he moved to the continuous glucose monitor and... He got it from Europe and it didn't require a prescription. So loopholes. <laughs> loopholes. Um... So it's just kind of watching it and tracking it. Um, so, she, like, this woman discovered that she her blood sugar dips overnight, and sometimes it interrupts uh, their sleep. It's not a woman. It's a man. <laughs> Got to the pronoun. We're good. Um, and so he also found that eating small amounts of white rice causes glucose to spike. And after long flights on an empty stomach. Yeah. So just kind of like looking at like different things that he does to himself and how that um, hits. So the problem is nobody really knows what any of this information means. means. Yeah. <laughs> like and if it has any like long term effects or if it can mean anything or we should use it in a way that is right. like to like regulate anything or like change something. So like here's some information. Yeah. We don't know what to do with it. This Good is luck. Like, <laughs> this is like following the huge trend, though, of wearable wearable fitness trackers and stuff. And I feel like the guy in this article is saying... It's wearable tech. I Absolutely, know. Yeah. Wait, hang on. Boom. Resting heart rate, 61. Little high. Gotta get, make sure I get enough sleep are you, tonight. Are you, like, super excited to be back? Because I am. Um, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. And, like, I definitely... I think that this is one of those things <clears throat> where, like, this guy is saying... He, he's like, oh, I'm not worrying about it. I'm just trying to optimize my health. But, and granted, I'm an overthinker. But I can tell you that I, I think this happens to a lot of people. Either you start tracking it and then you're like, oh, my data never changes. So you just stop using it. Or you can kind of overthink it. Like and I remember, obsessed, yeah. yeah, like when I was, I had a, I was getting kind of sick multiple times last winter. And I, I ended up taking the watch off because I was just like, I was overthinking, like, my resting heart rate would go up five beats a minute, you know, over a day. And I would think, oh, my God, am I getting sick again? It was, like, stressing me out, you know, the idea. It has been causing your... <laughs> well, I don't think I would put it that far, your... but, like, it certainly wasn't helping me relax, yeah. right? So, but but I think this, too, gets to people's hunger for, for preventative 
technology. You know, like we're seeing so much in allopathic medicine that they don't do anything until you're sick. You know, right. they don't do it. Like it's, or they'll kind of like, there's like quote unquote nutritional counseling and they'll tell you to eat healthy. But this guy is, I mean, if he has a, if he has a high risk of diabetes, like maybe it's not the wrong thing, you know? It's just like one of those, how much, how much benefit versus what's the potential harm. Right. So, but like the thing is like, they don't know, like, if he should control it. Like, if he should have some white rice before he goes to bed so yeah. that way he can sleep through the night. Like, I know. Nobody's she... done research on it. Yeah, and the woman said that a banana spikes her blood sugar more than a cookie. I was interested in that. But I feel like if I had this, I would just become obsessed. Absolutely, you would. And can, sometimes we don't know. I can confirm. <laughs> <laughs> I remember when I got the watch, you were like, is this a good thing for you, though? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it worked out, so. Yeah. I think that, like, this is the kind of thing that in the future, it will just be understood. Like, if you have a diabetes risk, you'll get this. You know, or if you have a heart disease this risk, is where we'll it's be, headed. Yeah, I think we'll be tracking a lot of stuff. Also, because, like, the companies who who make these devices are going to push it like crazy. Right. Like, if you make a blood glucose monitor, and right now it's only diabetics, but you could convince everyone to use everybody it. Everybody needs it. Yeah. All your relatives. I'm, like... I'm already like I kind of like it. Although <laughs> to be fair, no diabetes in my family, so I don't really think so. But yeah, but you want it. But I kind of, I kind of, I kind of <laughs> like it for like a month just to see. <laughs> yeah, for sure I would. It's also you know there's um, what is it called? It's like every lab test now, or there's like a company where you can get a lab test without your doctor's permission. Yeah, you just can go get it. Cool. And that's and that's like that's like. Five or more years old. Ah, yeah. I covered it in an article. I was working for a, a retail design magazine, and we were talking about retail health clinics. Mm-hmm. And that was, like, one of the things that came up in the article, just as a mention, that, you know, is, like, people kind of taking charge of their own health or mm-hmm. possibly going too far. <laughs> just a tad. Mm-hmm. Okay. Ready for the next article? Yeah. So the next one comes from BBC. Um, it's middle-aged should take day-free, drink-free days, campaign says. Middle-aged should have drink-free days, campaigners say. <laughs> Can so, you say that five times fast? Nope. I have to say it very slowly. So there's a new campaign in the um, in Britain urging people to between the ages of 45 and 65 to have regular drink-free days. So we're good for a while. So we're good. Let's just... Open up something right now. So middle-aged drinkers are more more than likely than any other age group to have more than the recommended 14 units a week. And I think a unit is like a shot, whatever, however many ounces is like it's a in small here. glass of wine or a beer. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so like, but it's looking at like the, you should have a whole day where you just don't drink at all. I like the assumption here that everyone's drinking every day. Do you think it's because it's in Europe that there's more, like, Probably. more regular consumption? Probably. But... Um, so that, um, it was based on a survey of 9,018 to 85 year olds. Well, that's the gamut. I mean, you cut out the nonagenarians in that, but like <laughs> everyone else is in the survey if they're an adult. And it found out that one in five was drinking more than the government's, uh, 14 unit a week guidelines. Also, also, can we talk about that? You're having more than 14 drinks a week. That's more than two a day. That's kind of a lot. You're shrugging like everyone can see you, which they can't. And Shrugs. also, <laughs> no, I mean I feel like that's a lot. 
Yeah, but they said so. Two thirds said it would they would find cutting down their drinking harder than improving their diet, exercising uh. more, and reducing their smoking. <laughs> so they're like, I'll go run ten miles and I'll stop eating cookies. Yeah. but you can pry my beer out of my cold dead fingers. Eh? But they're not drinking to become drunk, but it's part of being social, right? So you have yeah. a glass or two of wine at every meal. Um, so, uh, oh. so what they're recommending instead of um, trying to reduce the amount of alcohol that you drink, that you just don't drink on a day. On a day, yeah. And that would be like, easier. So. You can't handle just cutting down. So yeah. um, 14 units of alcohol a week is six pints of beers, seven glasses of wine, or 14 single shots of spirits. So it is not... Okay. So it's like have a glass of wine every yeah. every day would put you over. Wait, so six pints of beer is 14, meaning each pint is like two point something, right? Yep. A little over. So each beer counts as two point something units. That's You yeah. mathed real well. I didn't. I mean, I, I'm not even want to guess what the, comes after the point. They also brought up the Lancet study, which was like a big deal recently, talking about like that there's no safe... There's no safe amount of alcohol to drink. Because in the past, and I think we even have covered these stories yeah. where they have said that it might lower the cancer risk if you had a certain amount of alcohol. Right. And, like, red wine and the whole, like, reservatol thing. People thought it was, like, anti-aging. And maybe it is. I, th- I think the jury is still out on this. Like, I think it's one of the kind of, like... It's because they keep having survey after survey yeah. after survey that tells one thing and then the other. And then yeah. Back to the first and then it's when that means, sponsoring. That means we need a meta-study, honestly. We absolutely a need a meta-analysis. Meta study. Researchers. Yeah. Researchers listening to this podcast. <laughs> hey, boo. <laughs> <laughs> or I'm going to need to do a meta-study. You newbies out there. Yeah. Get on it. Get <laughs> on it. Send this. us an email. Hello at thebadpatient.com. What? What? Mm-hmm. You can you can let us know what you know about alcohol research. There's definitely the whole breast cancer thing and alcohol has been studied. But also, we've talked about this before, a lot of the studies are self-reported. And mm-hmm. I feel like when you ask people how much they drink, it's one of the things that people lie about. Yeah, they fudge it a mm-hmm. little bit. Mm-hmm. Also, I just feel like this whole 14 units equals six beers is very hard for people to follow along. Like, I know I'm getting stuck on this a little bit, but like... Okay, so you count, you cut out one beer. How many shots can you have? No, you're not. You're supposed to have a day free of <laughs> drinking, Robin. That means that you don't you just put down the beer and don't pick up the shot. No, but I'm saying like if you do, if you put down two beer, if you put down a beer, you can have two shots and a little bit of a little bit of a little sip, a little sip of whatever somebody little, else left in their in their shot from your neighbors. Because yeah. <laughs> it's about roughly two point something. Two point something. We don't even know. We can't tell you. We can't figure it out. And you know who else can't figure it out? Math. Drunk people. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think this is I think this is smart because it is. It's like telling people just to cut back is like vague and like Right. It's like meatless Mondays. That's like a good initiative because when you tell people eat less meat, they're very confused. And we like, tell How them, do I do that? Just, how about you just say Monday? Monday is like no meat, no alcohol. It's no fun. You're you're having a everybody, bad day anyway. Everybody's, everybody's already bad. It'd be mm, great if like Yeah, I'm just gonna need you not to drink and not to have meat. Just Yeah. Just call them miser- That'd be great. Miserable Mondays. <laughs> Uh, so this is why we're not in charge of the marketing campaign, mm. in case anybody's wondering. I actually, I like their idea. They're calling it Drink-Free Days, and the nonprofit sponsoring it is called Drink-Aware. Yeah, that's not bad. I like it. Well just, done. Yeah. 
But I also, 45 to 65. So if you're 44, full steam ahead. Full steam ahead. Live it up while you can. Calendar flips over. Careful now. Whoa. I'm going to need you to have a drink-free day. Also, also, so what happens? <laughs> you get to you get to like 64 and 11 months, and then you're just like, you're just looking at your watch. Counting down. It doesn't matter. You're back up. <laughs> Wait, so are they saying 14 units a week in six days now? Or no. They're, maybe they're hoping you'll drink less than 14. No, so like people are drinking more than 14. Oh, and they're saying this is the solution. So how do we get people to drink 14 or less? We tell yeah. them to take a day yeah. off. Because if it's six pints of beer, you know. Yeah. Here's their quote, which I like. People have told us that the idea of a drink-free day is much easier to manage than cutting down, say, from one large glass of wine to a small glass of wine. Which just means that we have no (laughs) self-control. No self-control. Because really, how hard is it to be like, large glass? I'll just have a small glass. Yeah, but if your friends are all having a large glass. Easier to just be like, I'm having none. Yeah, so either to say no completely than to try to wean yourself off. Wait, did you see this chart? Yes. I didn't understand what it was. Okay. So if you look at the average of who's drinking more than 14 units per week, if it's all adults, that's the lowest. It was around like over a five-year period, around 25% and then slightly lower. Looked at 45 to 54-year-olds, kind of like between 25 and 30%. Then 55 to 64 is when it bumps up over. <laughs> so it's like people, you know, they hit 55 and they're like, listen, so all, I've had so, enough. So that means on there is like some ages that drink less than the. Yeah, it kind of implies. So that is like implies like the 18 to. <laughs> you know, I'm guessing. So I bet the reason that they that they recommend this for 45 to 65 year olds is because that's the age groups that reported drinking over the 14 they're the just, most. They're drinking too much. Which is crazy because wouldn't you think that like. I don't know. 18 to 30 would be the problem. Yeah, but are they going out and drinking every night? Yeah. There's just probably like two nights a week. I don't know. <laughs> I was not a partier <laughs> no, I know. in college. So like that's like a Friday, Saturday thing and then yeah. you have to go back. To go so back to, to have 14 shots in two days seems like a lot. So the people who are most committed to it maybe, yeah, are these people that are like, they're they in don't their, do it every day. And they're in their rhythm, right? They come home or from work. Or they're lying <laughs> oh. on the self-reporting. <laughs> yeah, like your 19-year-old is more likely to be like, how many drinks did I have? Three. Three. <laughs> like 45 to 65 year old needs to cut down on their alcohol consumption because the 18 year olds are are not doing no, as much 18 to 44 needs to stop lying <laughs> so there's a new, there's like a social campaign for them that's separate let's be honest folks awesome is that all our stories yep those are all our stories so what is your current medical fascination well i don't know but you wanted to tell your trick-or-treating story do you remember that? No. Okay, I'll tell the story. I can't believe you forgot. All right. Dear audience, Laura has been threatening to tell this story ever since 24 hours ago when we handed out, like, I don't know, conservative estimate, like 400 pieces of candy to, like, a bunch of cute little kids. And so... A couple teenagers. Yeah. Rocket. So one of us lives in Ohio. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and one of us, me, does not... And is visiting Ohio and potentially was experiencing some of the cognitive decline associated with jet lag. And so, you want to tell the rest of it? Yeah. So, uh, there, was a, there was a kid dressed up as a Pittsburgh Steeler, which is a rival of Cincinnati Bengals. Oh, is it? Yes. You don't even know that. I don't know. <laughs> You're so bad at football. <laughs> um, and... Robin got super excited and said, yeah, we're from the Midwest. Yes. As if we weren't located <laughs> in the Midwest. 
which caused the children and the parents to stare at her like she was a crazy person. Uh, And I said, you're not in Portland. (laughs) But I want to just say that I very clearly established a pattern of calling out and celebrating people who are wearing Midwestern gear. While you're in Portland? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's the positive. That's the positive angle. I mean, okay. Yeah. I I mean I cheered for the people who had Ohio State stuff when I was in Florida so and I don't even like Ohio State <laughs> and uh, I wasn't I didn't realize that OH IO was an Ohio State thing until really I was way too old oh my parents like were successfully OSU got also. through college without oh, realizing wow. it wow wow I was never into the sports I don't think That's OSU fair. ever played Cincinnati. You see? I don't think they're in the same division. I don't think they are. Slash, they may Ohio State may have paid money not to compete against them. Oh, I think that was like a thing. A thing. I may be making that up. That is all I know about sports ball. Yes. Join us again <laughs> <laughs> next week when we when we discuss a game called cricket. <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna learn more about that before then. So I think um, so. If I had to come up with a medical fascination, I've been thinking. I've been thinking a lot about some of the triathlon stuff and the like, the kind of like sleep regeneration kind of cycle. And so, yeah, so I've been thinking about like, at what point does it make sense to get more sleep versus more exercise? Like if you need eight hours of sleep and you can only get seven and a half, but you could get an hour workout in, is it better to get eight hours of sleep and skip the workout? Is it better to get seven and a half and get the, you know, like... Like, there's an obvious point at which if you can get no sleep and you're going to work out, not good. But, like, where's the cutoff? Where's the where's kind that of a graph? thing? Yeah. And then I think I've also been kind of a little... Can I have two? Because we haven't podcasted in... Absolutely. You can have as in, many medical fascinations so, as you want. Yeah. So I think, like, so October is Breast Cancer Awareness Month. It's November now. I know. But, like, <laughs> October was Breast Cancer Awareness Month. And will be again. And will be again. But I've, and, and like, I had a family member who died from breast cancer, so I feel like I'm sensitive to that. But I've started to feel, like, really kind of tired of the, the pink washing and all the pink products and just feeling like there's other cancers that really need our attention and that we're, like, kind of, like, going nuts with breast cancer in, maybe in lieu almost of this other stuff. Or I just feel like, like, I don't want to take any research dollars away from breast cancer, but do we still need an awareness campaign around it? You know, like I, I, I have a yes. sense that women, and I think there's actually been a study on this, that women actually think that their risk of breast cancer is higher than it is. Like they surveyed a bunch of women. I wish I could find this study. But I, I think I saw this, like they surveyed a bunch of women and they're like, how likely are you to get breast cancer? And the women were like, I don't know, 40%. And it's, you know, it's one in eight. eight. Yeah. Which is 12 something percent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Twelve and a half. So, um, so, I get what you're saying, but to be fair, everybody knows a woman. Yeah, but I mean... And men can get it too. Well, see, there. I think there could be an awareness campaign about men getting breast cancer, but I think there could also be, say, an awareness campaign that like lung cancer is not always from smoking. There could be an awareness campaign about colorectal cancers, because no one is talking about those. That's because no one has, wants to use the word rectal. Well, we just did it. And it was, we're still Barf. okay. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like, I just, or like, maybe like a rare diseases awareness campaign, because like, it's so hard to get medical research dollars for these things. And there are illnesses where we have zero treatments. Or yeah. like, there's rare, like, ocular cancers that 
impact primarily children. You know, it's like there's all this stuff. And I just if we're going to have one awareness campaign per year or one really popular one, like on my last Delta flight, the flight attendants were all wearing pink shirts. And all I could think was like, okay, with the cost of all those pink shirts, we could have like given all the money to cancer, you know? True. So I don't want to sound negative about it, but. But you are. <laughs> but I, yeah, I just I feel I just feel like it's not it's not it's not a work on an NFL. Yeah. Pick a new cancer. <laughs> because we're definitely watching. I think, yeah, we are watching. <laughs> and we'd love to see you guys. I think they are giving money to domestic violence causes, actually. Yeah. I think if you're the NFL, that's where your money. Yeah, that should be their awareness. At least one of them. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. I think that's enough bad patienting for me. Uh, we want to say a special thank you to our theme song guy, whose name I forget. Ethan... Shively? Shively? No, don't know. We're going to think of his name and tell you again next week. Until then, we are Bad Patient. (laughs) Practice makes perfect.